Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Welcome back to Hour 3 of Tony Katz Today. This show has been jam-packed with exciting, worthwhile, meaty conversations. And if you missed a moment, catch podcast uploaded to WIBC.com later today. That's where we're going to be putting it, right, Producer Ryan? Yeah, he's nodding. He's saying, yeah. You're listening to 93 at WIBC. I'm not Tony Katz. I'm not Tony Katz either. No, you're Tony Kinnett. That's true. Same initials, different man, and I'm Ethan Hatcher. We're filling in for Tony Katz today. Mehmet Oz of Pennsylvania is floundering. Brad Rapsensberger of Georgia is rising to the top. And with 99 days to spare before the midterm elections, Tony, I have one question for you. Is the populist appeal of Donald Trump wearing thin when his endorsement is failing and his opposition means nothing? On who he is endorsing, yes, that is indeed failing. But that's also been something that we've seen throughout American political history. Prior endorsements of popular candidates do not last more than about a year, year and a half after the individual has been in office or in succinct popularity. That's not unusual. His things that he says, you know, when he comes out and, you know, criticizes the whole uh, proposed swap of the Russian arms dealer for Brittany Griner. Oh, we're going to be getting to that later. Yeah, we'll be getting to that in a second. But I think that is still pretty prominent because he is still uh, using that populist sledgehammer to echo a lot of sentiments in the country. As far as candidates are considered, Oz is awful. He's just so bad. Goodness gracious. I mean, you cannot ask him a question and get a straight answer. And what I don't mean that in like I would say to a lot of Democrats, for example, a lot of the Indiana Democrats, I will ask them a question and they will give me a straight answer, an answer that I disagree with, maybe built on bad logic and maybe built on some, you know, logical fallacies, but they will still answer the question. Oz has shoved his tongue and his cheeks and his chin into his <laughs> chest so many times to refuse answering questions. I, I don't know how he even made it this far. Prior to his nomination, he was already damaged goods from a litany of personal scandals unrelated to politics. And this is my problem with Donald Trump because he's he's a mile wide and an inch deep. The man is so friggin' shallow. And he's enamored with this, uh, the spectacle of celebrity. And it's just, it, it it's nothing, especially when it comes to the bona fides of the candidate. It didn't take a rocket scientist uh, to figure out that Mehmet Oz was not the conservative candidate of your dreams. He's not going to be the uh, adequate representative of Republican policy. Um, it, it, similarly with uh, that, that guy out of, what was it, Ohio, the hillbilly elegy dude. Um, yeah. Oh, what was his uh, name? Vance. Yeah, uh, Vance. Uh, that Trump was endorsing after he came out against him. These are incredibly short-sighted and indicative of his enamor with the bright, shiny objects of celebrity, of which he is one. I just, I'm, I'm tired of the circus side show, Tony. I'm so tired of it. I want my politics to be a serious uh, debate again. Well, you're going to have to look for something other than the American political system yeah, because remember, right Hamilton didn't endorse Burr for a particularly personal reason. I know the musical tries to make it seem as though Hamilton 
Hamilton was standing up. Well, Burr has no beliefs, but no, Hamilton basically didn't like Burr because Burr had insulted him a period of times throughout his life, and he thought he was a sniveling, wimpy coward. Trump likes Oz because Trump has known Oz for decades. That's it. There's nothing deeper to it. There's no 5D Candyland political chess at play. It's simply Trump liked him, so he endorsed him. We saw this during the Chicago corruption era. We saw this during the Nixon era. We saw this during the 50s. We saw this during the Civil War Reconstruction era. People endorse who they like that they've met outside of political spheres. And as mu- I hate it as much as you do, but alas, such is Democrat politics. It's bad news when the Oz is trailing his Democratic opposition by 11 points in a purple state. Look, I mean, I know like many cities that are like many states, I should say, the capital cities are bastions of liberal left wing politics. But most of Pennsylvania, as somebody who frequently travels through there, is normal. Normal, good, upstanding folks. It's just, you know, the the cities that are your your real problem there. And if they're not, if he's not able to connect with the rural Pennsylvania voter, that spells a pretty big problem for Republicans' aspirations to t- retake control of the Senate, which I think is kind of important, especially to stymie the uh, Biden agenda, which is incredibly deleterious to Americans uh, and I has think, been for the last two years. I think you've got a really good point there. And uh, just to correct a uh, statement I said earlier, I, this is very common in any kind of Democratic election, not Democrat election. Anytime you have liberal democracy at play, you're going to have a lot of this, you know, nonsensical theater. And speaking of that theater, it's the, you know, you said Oz needs to connect with the rural voters and things like that. Well, you and I both know exactly how he's going to do it. You and I can expect a picture of him at the Pennsylvania State Fair eating insert <laughs> fancy weird fried food here. See, I'm just like you. I tweeted about this Rocky last Mountain week. Oysters. Yeah, I want to see a candidate who doesn't take any state fair pictures. If I'm a candidate, I'm not even going to the state fair. I'm not. I don't care for the Indiana State Fair. Lambast me. Bring your pitchforks and your torches. Maybe you can buy them at the state fair. I've never been. I don't really want to go. I don't care. If you like it, great. I'm not going to pander to you and tell you, I like insert fried food here. See, I'm just like you, awkwardly drinks beer on camera. You remember there was a local politician here in the state of Indiana a few years ago. Oh, man, I can't remember. He was chopping wood as part of his campaign. <laughs> that's re- that's really relatable in America. The 2016 presidential election, they have Hillary trying to pour a beer and uh. she can't do it. She just like holds the mug under it straight wise and pours it. And like there ends up being very little to no beer actually in the Stein. And everyone's just looking at her like she's foolish because she is like, stop trying to be someone else. Just be happy with Elizabeth Warren, too. She was like kicking back on a live stream and like, oh, grab me a, a beer there, hubby. <laughs> it reminds me of the episode of Simpsons where like uh, they're doing the tour of the uh, the beer factory and they show the old commercial from JFK and the Nixon debate. And uh, JFK goes, I'd like to take uh, this opportunity to express my fondness for Duff Beer. And everyone cheers. And then Nixon says, "Uh, yes, I'd like to express my particular fondness for that brand of beer. And then everyone's like, ooh. Homer's like, the man's never drank a Duff in his life. And that's what it reminds me of. Like, quit, quit it. And if Oz wants to connect with rural voters, you know who he should go talk to? Rural, rural voters, voters. About issues they want. About the issues, right, not the shallow performative I could care less if J.D. Ford in Indianapolis or uh, Tom Saunders in Henry County or Governor Holcomb has ever eaten state fair food. I do care what they think about my politics. It's not just his endorsements that are failing. It's also his opposition. Of course, Brad Raffensperger squarely in uh, the sights of Donald Trump after... 
their uh, much publicized kerfluffle during the 2020 election in which Donald Trump requested. He just he needed to find those extra 11,000 votes somewhere. Well, I, I think that the reason that a lot of, you know, Trump damnation falling short in a lot of opinions of voters is because a lot of people just, yeah, Trump's going to get mad about stuff. Like you just know Trump's going to get mad about stuff. So like, yeah, Trump may be mad at this guy. Maybe it's for a good reason. Maybe it's not. But like, ah, I don't care. I'm just going to vote for what I've seen personally. That's the problem with Donald Trump. You know, like maybe it's for a good reason. Maybe it's not. And I'm here referring to a comment he made with, uh, what was it, Buck Sexton and Clay Travis uh, at a podcast while he was at Bedminster Golf Club on Friday. And they talked about a bevy of topics, but Brittany Griner came up. And with Trump, you got to take the good, but you got to take a lot of the bad, too. And sometimes he has a solid opinion, but sometimes he just kind of shoots off uh, on it. Uh, uninhibited uh, and off people the cuff. people and it, say it this like well. I, you know just to to put this in here people say that this like this is some kind of brand new amazing thing that like republicans and conservatives and libertarians need to recognize no everyone knows this everyone's i've known this in 20 i knew this in 2016 i knew it in 2020 when i voted for him you take the good with the bad because he was the alternative to garbage and i loved seeing him punch the progressive structure of the left so this was in uh, regards to Brittany Griner and the trade for Victor Bout, and he commented on that on the uh, Bedminster Golf Club. Would you have made, by the way, the offer for Brittany Griner and Victor Bout that Russia has put forward, where they'll trade this arms dealer's 25 years for arms dealing all over the world for the WNBA player and also, uh, I believe, a former Marine is being held there? She went in there, loaded up with drugs into a hostile territory where they're very vigilant about drugs. They don't like drugs. And she got caught. And now we're supposed to get her out. And she makes a, you know, a lot of money, I guess. But we're supposed to get her out for a absolute killer. Okay, we don't negotiate with terrorists, but rescuing Americans is what executives do. Am I wrong, Tony? So uh, I'm going to take maybe a slightly different approach here and say that while I think that Donald Trump worded this in his classic, very blunt fashion, which he does, which may have been, I don't know, <laughs> may have lended itself to more particular language. He's right. We don't negotiate. There's no Russian. Russia's holding her and the Marine Ill, without any good cause. I don't think that America should be trading any Russian person who has actually enacted some kind of international crime in the country, while it also should be you know, said that, hey, you're in Russia, maybe don't smoke a lot of weed while you're there. I mean, it's not like, I mean, Russia does have these things pretty well posted. And by the way, I'm for someone who thinks that weed should be decriminalized in the country. I do think that it is rather interesting to see the Biden administration trying desperately to get her back when there are a lot of people sitting in prison right now for weed dealing and possession when she so is being traded back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the crime bill that he supported back in the day did that. There's a lot of hypocrisy going around, but as far as what Trump said here, I get exactly why he said it. I would have said it differently, but I think that what he said was a very fair criticism. Especially yeah, how he how he lined up for, the statement for Victor Bout. He's absolutely right. Did you recognize the name by the way? Did Victor Bout uh, tickle any alarm bells for you? Uh, no, it didn't. Lord of War. Yes, that Lord of War from 2006 is Nicolas Cage movie. There are over 550 million firearms in worldwide circulation. That's one firearm for every 12 people on the planet. The only question is, how do we arm the other 11? 
Yeah, that's the Victor Bout that they're proposing the trade. That guy again, <laughs> for I, the football star in the Marine. I don't ah! even. I don't even think you have to go. I mean, obviously that's terrible. Terrible. That's trade. that's insane, and that's one of the situations that's going to come back with a host of other things and haunt President Biden. However, my goodness, I, I mean. If you just look at the basic idea of being traded for some kind of war criminal, we do not negotiate. Our citizens are not to be bought and purchased. That is wrong. But here, he could have staked his entire argument on the very valid criticism that that's a terrible trade, but he muddies the water with his off-color remarks, including the, this dig at Brittany Griner, which, in my estimation, is wholly unnecessary. Yes, of course, she should have exercised greater caution, but this kind of disregard for an American in peril, I think, uh, reflects poorly on somebody who definitely has aspirations to run for re-election. I mean, it I certainly doesn't seem like a very good trade, does it? He's an absolute one of the worst in the world, and he's going to be given his freedom because a potentially spoiled person goes into Russia loaded up with drugs. And what, what were you going to say? Ah, so that that's the clarifying comment that I actually wanted to because I knew that wasn't the whole audio clip selection yeah. that we had. So he said potentially spoiled person is very interesting here. So the, the comment that it's an individual who basically has, has walked around uh, – basically getting whatever it is that they want, disregarding rules in certain areas, which that is true. She did break the law in Russia. Does that mean she deserves to be held for eternity? Absolutely not. Russia has no business for a cart. Absolutely not. There is no reason whatsoever that Russia has any authority to hold an American citizen, especially for a crime that's that pathetic. I mean, oh no, weed, oh the horror. But at the same time, saying loaded up with drugs, also no, not, not true. Accurate no, I don't think that's true. It's unnecessary, but that's Trump. Self-inflicted damage from the Trumpster, and that's what I get so tired with him. I get tired of the circus sideshow. Um, I, I, I really hope that we have better representation in the upcoming battle for the presidency, because we need it, and Ron DeSantis, I think he's looking good so far, in my estimation, but, you know. I see a, him as the Reagan following the Carter, there's DeSantis. A lot, there's a lot of distance between us and 2024, and you'll need to stay tuned every second to 93 WIBC for updates for on more. <laughs> it's fantastic, isn't it? It's fantastic. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Just introducing my friend Ethan here to a little of Young Gravy's Betty, the summer anthem that packs a punch. We are here today on Tony Katz today. Obviously, neither one of us are Tony Katz. I am your host, Tony Kennett. Join here today, your other host, Ethan Hatcher. And we're talking about everything and a whole mess of stuff, starting with, in this segment, Biden's border wall. Isn't that crazy? After it, it, totally lambasting the Trump administration for constructing a border wall, now it has been resumed in portions of the Arizona border. This according to a news report by Fox News and Brett Baer. Um, of course, you won't find this on ABC, CBS, NBC, or others because they're blacking out Biden's uh, re-strengthening of the border, basically tantamount to admit admitting wholesale uh, a wanton illegal crossings don't work. President Biden has authorized the completion of the border wall in an open area near Yuma, Arizona. It's another reversal of policy for the president who vowed not to add to his predecessor's efforts in any way on and, that project. And you had the press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre. Oh! <laughs> she was actually defending this continuance of building the border wall as saving lives. Tell, tell me if that isn't a little bit ironic there, Tony. 
if walls work in that part of Arizona, is this the administration trying to get migrants to cross somewhere else, like in Texas? What What is the plan? We are not finishing a wall. We are cleaning up the mess that the prior administration made. Oh. We are trying to save lives. This is what is this is what the prior administration left behind that we are now cleaning up. We're not finishing a wall, Tony. We're just filling in the gaps okay. of the unfinished wall. Let's step back from the <laughs> politics for just a second. Beside the fact that, you know, KJP not too long ago said on Twitter, at Real Donald Trump, where are the pesos for your bigoted wall? Let's step back from that one for a second. Why is it that every time some press secretary gets out there and someone's like, why have you chosen this policy? They get out there and they clutch their pearls and go, it's to save lives. Like, okay, I understand. And I'm willing to make the concession that Indiana Democrats are trying to pass policies because they think that is going to save lives. Republicans in Indiana are passing policies because they think it's going to save and improve lives. That's kind of the nature of the game. But she, of course, dodges it completely. Of course he's building the wall. It's hilarious. Well, Tony, I'm going to give her a pass here because I do, in essence, I don't think she believes it, but I do agree with her that completing the border wall does, in fact, save lives. Because there's an enormous human toll, human lives to pay for Biden's negligent open border politics. We saw it with the 50 uh, people who died in that tragic uh, human smuggler Mm. uh, case in the the cargo container uh, in Texas uh, a couple months ago. We also recently had some interactions on uh, the Rio Grande River with Del Rio Sector Chief Patrol Agent Jason D. Owens, who posted videos showing agents rescuing a group of uh, four migrants who became trapped in the swiftly moving currents of the river. This isn't the first time that happened. A couple weeks ago, he also posted a video of these Border Patrol, these terrible white supremacist, hateful Border Patrol agents who rescued migrants who otherwise would have drowned, including this family of four, with three kids and an infant in the river the 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 un the uncontrolled uninhibited uh, uh, uh border crossing is not a merciful policy and it results in death that's brought to you by the Biden administration and he's leaving these border border patrol agents to clean up after his mess this fanciful emotional policy that completely ignores the facts of a situation is incredible to behold in any way, shape, and form, but especially especially in the case of the border conflict. Mexico is not keeping uh, the drug problem, the cartel problem at hand. There's all of this horrible nonsense going on. Of course, Biden should be working on the wall instead of posturing and preening at the expense of so many lives. This is WIBC 93. You are listening to The Tony Cats Today. And I'm Ethan, or I am Tony Kennett. This I'm is, Ethan Hatcher. You're yeah. Tony Kennett. Ah, I was getting a little bit of envy there. <laughs> we'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back to Tony Katz Today. I'm your host, Ethan Hatcher, joined by Tony Kinnett from Chalkboard Review. Together, we're filling in. Thanks to producer Ryan for beep, 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 pushing those buttons and doing the things to keep the show functioning. Wrapping up the program. So much to talk about. Nicholas Sandman has lost his defamation suit against major media outlets. Uh, uh, the military is uh, suffering from a severe lack of uh, priorities, and Governor DeSantis 
DeSantis has filed a complaint against a local business for uh, activities performed in front of children. We'll leave, uh, let you decide if that was justified. Tony, let's begin with uh, Nicholas Sandman. He has unfortunately lost the defamation suit, and this is bullpucky, man. It really is. I mean, uh, so the justification, the rationale that has been offered up by this federal judge, William O. Bertelsman, uh, says that it, 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 the claims are objectively unverifiable and thus unactionable claims because the media defendants were covering a matter of great public interest, and they reported Phillips' first-person view of what he experienced. So, he acted like these media media entities weren't editorializing what happened to Nicholas Sandman and made him the object of that entire debacle. It's ridiculous, but man. But that's also verifiably and objectively not true. Right. Because as soon as the story happened, before they even had uh, the elder man on to talk about his views and how wonderful he was and how he'd always been such a great stalwart figure for all of these things, uh, they immediately broadcast uh, all of these actions that Sandman had taken as, you know, he's smirking and he's saying all these racist comments under his breath. You can hear Brian Selter frothing at the mouth on Mike while this was initially being covered by CNN. And now um, this judge just comes in and says, well, it's objectively unverifiable. Sure, we have all of the tapes. Sure, we have all of the audio, but we're just ignoring it. Well, the CNN did settle, as did the Washington Post in 2024, an undisclosed sum. This lawsuit was covering the New York Times, ABC News, NBC, Universal Media, CBS, uh, Gannett, and Rolling Stone. So maybe it suffered because it was too broad and they need to surgically target some of these media entities for the comments they made because there's clearly a case, as is evidenced by the fact that some right. of the major ones chose to settle out of court. You don't do that if well, you, you don't have Take a look at Rolling <laughs> Stone in specific here because Rolling Stone is known for throwing out a lot of tweets as soon as it happens, also digging sure. in with all of these quick articles. And they did not wait. They didn't bring on uh, the elder gentleman who is, you know, was supposedly lambasted and destroyed by, you know, Sandman. And, and, and Phillips' claims were not actually brought to bear by ABC News for days until days later, after the coverage had already been established. So as far as framing his point of view, they never framed Sandman's point of view. If they're supposedly objective media in this case, they certainly haven't shown that. And it can be objectively proven by, I'm guessing, just looking at the company email records. Sure. They only ever put forward one narrative um, and then tried to co- you know, cover their behinds after uh, you know, after more facts about the conflict started coming to light. Anyway, um, another story that I wanted to talk about, of course, is this military base. Man, we've come a long way from the days of don't ask, don't tell, because now military bases are hosting drag shows. And look, I'm all about the individual's right to freedom of self-expression, but this isn't what the military is about. I don't think... <laughs> no, several friends of mine from 38th, with the Cyclone specifically, have been telling me recently that there's just almost no reason to stay in the service anymore because it's so politicized. All of these different trainings and hearings and special things you have to go to to make absolutely no one feel better. It's not going to help you fight a war better to have, you know, drag shows on base. Right. But that's what we're having now. Yeah. Joint Base Langley Eustis. This is the first diversity, equity, and inclusion summer festival. And yes, it features a drag show with Joshua Kelly and his character Harpy Daniels. But according to the base, the goal is to provide education and awareness 
increase collaboration through outreach and recognize the diverse and uh, composition of JBLE. The theme of the event is celebrating differences and see how pandering this is because it's not just a drag show. Like they're bringing out a collection of minorities, like as a menagerie to display, which is kind of pandering in and of itself. No, it's it's worse than pandering. It's like a Barnum Bailey circus bingo, like a sideshow. Yeah, like you're bringing people out and saying, "Look, here is a drag queen," and it's like, what is everyone supposed to like throw peanuts at it and feed it? Like it's it's disturbing anyway. If you're trying to claim the Tuskegee Airmen, Asian Indians of Hampton, a hula uh, routine, the drag performance, and many others are included in this hula routine. Yeah, we're like at the uh, military. Can you imagine these guys in camo dancing around with hula hoops? I'm just what's going on. I'm just wondering if like the actual. uh, I'm I'm just wondering if like the hula routine actually includes special OCB or excuse me OCP. Yeah, you said camouflaged outfits. (laughs) Are we seriously there? Does the drag show? Does he have like a big fluffy camouflage scarf that he throws over his shoulder? It's so disturbing. Yeah, and it's such a mockery of what the United States military used to be. Right. It's not. That's the important thing here. All of all of these activities of self-expression are fine. This is a free country. You have the right to uh, to do and perform how you wish. But that's not what the military is about, and that's what the focus. Uh, you know, the, the uh, blowing crap up and uh, destroying things. Well, I think is the general focus of the military. And then you know, there's, there's also a conversation about doing things of of your own accord, and then also doing things within your own home, and then taking them out in public uh, to you know prance around. And that's what this case in Florida is all about, right? So you've got yeah, Governor yeah. DeSantis administration filing a state complaint against my Miami's R House on Tuesday uh, because uh, saying the win. Woods Bar Weekend Drag Show Brunches exposes minors to sexually explicit drag shows. I think this is a legit complaint because I have been not too specifically a drag show. I went to a burlesque show that had a drag element included, but this is at a 21 and up club. I would not expect children to be present at 21 up and up clubs, strip joints or whatever. So it's not about the sexuality here. It's about the nature of the activity. So I feel like the complaint is justified. Now, they're not specifically targeting this uh, this weekend show for kids, but it's not disallowing them either. It's not at a 20, 21 and up bar, which most of these uh, performances in Miami are held at. And they do have a discount uh, children's menu. So children are invited. This is at a public venue. Not just invited, but encouraged. If there's a discount children's menu, they're encouraging people to bring their kids because there's a discount. Yeah, 30 for kids and 55 for adults uh, at this brunch place. <laughs> I, and, and it's become so popular now. You have to book reservations. Ah, yes. All of the all of the <laughs> soccer mom progressive Karens want to bring out their kids to show that I exposed my child to grown men twerking in thongs today. That's so. I mean, we've lost our ever loving minds as a society. Yeah, this is. Uh... <laughs> This this is beyond questionable because of the sexually uh, sexually explicit content of the show. It's it would be the same for a burlesque show. I'm just trying to apply equal standards here. I you don't know? care. I mean, I, and I've heard people use the argument. Well, there are people who take their kids to Hooters. Yeah, I mean, like I don't. But think at least they're should... fully clothed well, at yeah, Hooters. I mean, but at the same time, it's like <laughs> there's there's a very key difference in the idea of hosting a drag event where guys are taking off their clothes and they're not of wearing pasties and thongs at Hooters, and that's still questionable and viewed as tasteless yeah, and by, by the, the major, way, major part of society. 
society. As a parent, I think that if you take your kids to Hooters, I think that's a really bad decision. You right. shouldn't take your kids to Hooters. Questionable and I tasteless, mean, and they're fully clothed. Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying, like, this, this isn't an either-or situation. I think both are bad, but I think the DeSantis administration in Florida is doing the right thing here. Look, if you are a grown man, and you are acting sexual in front of a child, I Absolutely. think that you should be put behind bars. It's a child. Go do that in front of adults who want you to do that in front of them. Go ahead. It's a free market for adults to do what they please. And this small business has 21 days to respond to the complaint. They say that this is a misunderstanding and they intend to fully comply with the regulations of the DeSantis administration. These shows are allowed to perform in other parts of Miami without problem. The issue here is exposing it to children, not the nature of the content itself. Absolutely. A, I hope that they they, they comply. I hope that it's found that they, you know, they aren't going to incentivize kids coming in any way. I hope there's some guy at the door that's like, no, ma'am, you can't bring your middle school child into this event. Bingo. But I hope the adults go and enjoy it. That's fine. If you want to be weird, if you want to go enjoy a drag show, that's your call. That's your prerogative. I have the right to judge you for it from my own home because I think that's something that is disturbing. However, go ahead. It's a free country. Go ahead. Just don't take your kids. That's not an event for children. Your mileage may vary on artistic expression. Your and mileage that's... may vary. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the nature of free exchange. You're listening to 93 WIBC. Stay tuned for more on Tony Katz today. Ethan Hatcher and uh, Tony Kinnett filling in. Oh, yes, I'm the great Welcome back to Tony Katz Today. I'm Tony Kennett, filling in today with Ethan Hatcher here on WIBC. We're talking about all different kinds of wonderful things in this last little bit of the segment. It's been a great show so far. I'm, I've been having a lot of fun, Tony. Oh, yeah. It's been an absolute blast. So, I, I'm a, I've never been a Breaking Bad fan, personally. Oh, I loved that show, man. I gotta say, though, I didn't expect Albuquerque to unveil Walter White and Jesse Pinkman statues in Albuquerque. <laughs> Their own bronzed edifices in front of the uh, convention center there in New Mexico. I think it's apropos. The show was set there. Better Call Saul was set there. The cinematography for both of those programs, written by Vince Gilligan, is in and of itself artfully presented. The shows are so well crafted, and I appreciated actually getting to experience the Breaking Bad phenomenon while it was coming out. It, you know, it, It's one thing. It's still a good show on its own merit, and you can binge watch that on Netflix or buy the DVD box set anytime. It's still good. But getting to uh, live through the hijinks of Walter White on a weekly basis and kind of follow that conversation around the water cooler, especially as everybody's just breathless, like, oh, right. what's he going to do next? I loved that. And it brought so much attention to Albuquerque. There's this one episode. How far did you get in the show? I only got about four or five episodes in. Okay. It, it's not that I didn't like the show. It's just one of those things where it didn't really hook me. While that sure. was going on, Psych was also out and about, and I was, also I was great. way more of a Psych fan. I love I loved Psych as well. Um, but there was this one episode where Walt throw he loses his temper with Skyler, his wife, and he throws a pizza up on the roof of their uh, TV house. And it was so popular for tourists to come to the lady, the real life person who owned the TV home, and then throw pizzas. And Vince Gilligan, the creator, had to beg fans of the show, stop harassing this poor woman. She has put up with enough letting us use oh, her property. Goodness. And now you're th- throwing pizzas on a roof. <laughs> and she doesn't have like a, you know, a, a garden team to come out and clean that up. She's cr- crawling up there and doing it herself. Like, oh, stop. No. <laughs> 
Well, that's crazy to me. Just the idea that, like, I mean, the show is, you know, you can you can make the argument like, oh, the show's about, you know, this guy making meth, and you know, they're erecting two statues. I mean, it's a great show. I just think it's funny that of all this, like, the characters of TV shows and and various sitcoms to make a statues of, I just find that kind of funny. It's like, I'm, oh yeah, I'm glad that you brought up that specific element because yes, it was you know highly controversial, especially when Breaking Bad first came out. Like, oh, you're glorifying these meth dealers. We can't glorify drug dealers. In America, you know the pearl clutchers, and that's, that's a not fantastic. You know that's a fantastic interpretation. That's not it. That's not at all what the show was about. And in fact, like Walt and Jesse suffered for you know their their moral their, their moral sins and their moral shortcomings. And the exploration of their their character arcs was really satisfying. And that's the cool thing about boundary pushing art. And we live in this woke culture right now where they're trying to set. These limitations on creativity it's and that- neo puritanism mm. just firmly set. There is Bingo. no forgiveness, and I mean it's infected everything. Not just in the case of really great dramas and and really great thrillers, as, as you know Breaking Bad was, but also in comedy. Mm-hmm. It's just been lambasted again and again and again by all of these woke critics that have completely shredded it to pieces, and some of the greatest comics have just, they've had enough. Yeah, including John Cleese, who was speaking with Fox News, talking about how artists have always had to deal with pushback from censors to some degree, but recently comics are bowing to the woke mob, and it's hurting the nature of creativity. Take a listen. Um, and there have always been limitations. I mean, in England, until some ridiculous late date, like 1965, all plays had to be submitted to what used to be a part of the palace called the Lord Chamberlain, he would read it. And there were hilarious letters used to go back for us saying, you well, may only say f- once this sort of letter. <laughs> and you cannot say bugger. <laughs> but you can say this sort of ridiculous um, negotiating letter. So there have always been it, but I think it's particularly worrying at the moment because you can only create in an atmosphere of, of, of freedom um, where uh, you're not checking everything you say critically before you move on. What you have to be able to do is to build without knowing where you're going, because you've never been there before. That's what creativity is, so you have to be allowed to build. And a lot of comedians now uh, are sitting there, and when they think of something, they start thinking, oh, could I get away with that? I don't think so. So-and-so got into trouble when he said that, or she said that. You see what I mean? And that's the death of creativity. And that's the problem with these woke artists, because playing it safe doesn't produce compelling media. The fact that Breaking Bad was controversial and dealt with a challenging subject matter laid the groundwork for presenting one of the most compelling and artfully crafted shows recognized in you know television production today. You know, there's also an academic argument to this that the reason that we actually established a PhD system in which you would, as a doctoral candidate, you would find some area that had not been discovered, that had not been explored, and you would push the boundary of a science to something new that we had never talked about before, that we had never assessed. And in this way, every facet of human creativity of the sciences is supposed to push into something new, something creative. You're going to have to get close to a line we didn't know was there. You're going to have to explore something we didn't know was explored. And we've 
muted that in comedy and it is halting the progress of culture and our understanding of history because we're busy stomping down on anything that makes anyone slightly uncomfortable and yeah. it's not what it was meant to do now it's also rewarding of course pro- you know things are going to change and it's uh, we need to follow the wave of progress but on the other hand it's also rewarding to take a, a minute to reflect on where we've come from and see how culture has continued to develop and I have with me here one of my little phonographic devices uh, I, did you know I collect phonographs that's my little side hobby um, awesome. I, yeah, I love that I have more than 40 machines and some of them are portable some of them are upright some of them are consoles I, I try to collect a little variety but this is a little uh, somewhat racist phonograph toy. Uh, he's known as Ragtime Rastus. Um, they made a series, the National Phonograph Company, of uh, little dancing toys. Um, they had Uncle Sam variety. They had boxers. But Ragtime Rastus was far and away their most popular, and he was designed after minstrel shows of the time. Mm-hmm. So not exactly exactly culturally sensitive sensitive by today's standards. Um, but he's mechanically very interesting. Say, the mechanical nature of the toy mm-hmm. itself is what's impressive. Whether it yeah. was a Uncle Sam toy or a boxing toy. Bingo. And and also, you know, just to see how the technology has developed, but I wanted to demonstrate that cuz he's fun. He's he dances and it's just a, it's part of history. The machine's going. Up. So what you you guys can't see at the moment is this amazing tap work that's that's being done by this guy. It's it's incredible just to see the mechanics of it. Right. And what's being driven is the motor. The motor causes him to spin. He rides on that. Oh, he fell off. (laughs) (laughs) And that that's tech that's uh that's old technology in action. So clearly he doesn't always work, but uh but yeah, it's fun. I drove all the way to Martinsville to get him. You know, it reminds me of a lot of the uh the, the Lego connections and gears that a lot of my students in robotics would put together so that as the robot was out on the field moving around and doing its thing, it might have a little spinning wheel or a flag that would be going around and around and it wasn't necessary, it wasn't needed. In fact, sometimes the number of gears would actually hamper the robot's progress. But it's always cool to see the little bits of creativity come out. Not something that's essential. You don't sure. need a little guy tap dancing on top of your, <laughs> you know, your phonograph. But it's it's a neat thing to see and to have when people are allowed to really dig into ideas uh, without someone shutting them down immediately. Yeah, um, it, it's also it's fun to see how uh, how technology has developed, how people were, were entertained in the past. And again, it's just it, it's a t- it's a, a touchstone, a watermark, a, a level of progress to see where we came from and how it informs where we're going. Yeah, it's a really good way to look at that. I mean, and plus, if this particular machine, no electrical power at all. It's completely mechanical. Yeah, so cool. I love I love mechanical sound reproduction, and I could go at length about that, but unfortunately, we've ran out of time. Hey, Tony, it's been a blast filling in with you on uh, Tony Katz today. I hope we get to do it again. Yeah, it's been quite a show. We'll see if Katz lets us on the next time. And thank you, dear listener, for staying with us. Uh, stick around for Hammer and Nigel coming up next on 93 WIBC.